Well, we're going to get into Romans chapter 4, and uh, next week I'll show you a video from the youth group. Um, all right, we're in Romans chapter 4. Uh, oops, got to get all my things here. All right, getting set up here. All right, um, last week, Hidardo um, covered for us, and I, I covered for me. I appreciate that. I was up in the Eastern Sierras with my family. We left after Sunday morning service, and it was just great being up in the Eastern Sierras. Every time I come back from the mountains, I'm like, oh, we should have had th- three more days, you know. Uh, but uh, we spent two hours fishing in a fishless lake, and uh, to my surprise, we caught nothing. Uh, <laughs> you know, we found out it was fishless after we finished investing the time. But nonetheless, it was, it was very good, and so I'm really thankful for that. But, but Gerardo, as he went through Romans chapter 3, as we're going through Romans, we have to understand that Paul is building upon an argument. He's helping you understand the need for Jesus Christ, why you need Jesus Christ. And, and with this argument, I think it's really important that we each and every one of us understand. By the way, Manny, could we turn on the air? I don't know if it's on. Could you check that for me? Thanks. Um, I, we under, uh, as he's building this argument, we must understand that Paul is one of the lo- most loving men because he is exhausting so much time and so much effort to the people in Rome that they might know Jesus Christ. And not just to the people in Rome, obviously the Holy Spirit intended that we might also have this letter and learn from it ourselves. More than that, this reflects the heart of God. It it helps us understand that God is not just a God in heaven who's disapproving of you and wants the worst for you, but rather God is a God in heaven who desires a relationship with you, who loves you, and has provided salvation on your behalf. And so as we enter into chapter 4, we left off in chapter 3 with a couple key verses of course, Romans 3.23, I want to make sure you, draw, you uh, remember that verse. Uh, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's an important verse because it sets the stage that you and I, each one of us, every single person have sinned and you fall short of the glory of God. We're going to reference that again in a moment. And the very last verse of Romans chapter 3, verse 31, we see is, do we then... Make void the law through faith. Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Let me go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into chapter 4, and we'll, we'll talk about how those 30, 331 uh, connects with chapter 4. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for our, all of those mis- short-term missionaries who have returned. Uh, it's such a blessing to see... Uh, how you use them, and Lord, just how you've ministered to them and through them. Uh, What an amazing opportunity it is to to be a minister of your gospel. And Lord, we pray for those who are currently uh, still serving with Hope Home. We ask, Lord, that you might uh, continue to bless them. Uh, Lord, encourage them, continue to heal them. We thank you so much for uh, the good report I'm getting as far as those who are sick are feeling much better. And so we pray that you'd strengthen them up and allow them to finish uh, the work that you've prepared for them strong. We thank you, Lord Jesus, and we pray now that you'd uh, teach us, help us to understand this word and apply it to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So Paul finishes chapter 3, verse 31, with this question. Now you're going to see as Paul makes arguments, he's kind of anticipating what the reader is thinking. And so as he makes this argument about the need for faith in Christ, he asks the question, do we then make void the law through faith? And basically that's a, the idea here is that, so was the law pointless? You know, the Ten Commandments, the law given at Sinai. Uh, was that all pointless if all of a sudden now we're saved by faith? And, and Paul says certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. The, the, the law is there to establish that you and I don't meet the standard of God's righteousness. And that's important for us to know. I mean, can you imagine just living life in a way that uh, you are driving down the street and randomly pulled over and you say, what did I do? And they say, well, you're not allowed to have your windows rolled down in this part of the the city. And you're like, what? Uh, I didn't even know that was a law. Well, sorry, it is. Here's a ticket. Then you drive to another part of the city and they pull you over and they say, oh, you're supposed to have your headlights off in this part of the city during the daytime. You can't have those running lights going. You're, what? That's ridiculous. I didn't even know that's a law. Well, too bad you broke the law, so here's a ticket. Well, that's not how God operates. God made it very clear the standard of righteousness so that you and I might understand. The law shows us that we don't meet the standard and we need a savior. And, and this is all part of God's plan of salvation that you and I might be redeemed and reconciled to himself. So there we go into chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found, uh, has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as, a, as debt. Let me just pause there for a minute. Let's start to unpack this. Paul goes all the way back to Abraham. Maybe you remember the Sunday school, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had father. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, we, we used to always do that song in the youth group just to see if we could wear everybody out. But, um, but the, the idea here is that Abraham truly is the father of all the Jews. It is through Abraham that God gave the promise. If you remember, God called Abraham out of the Ur, the land of the Chaldeans. And he said, Abraham, he said, go to where I'm sending you, and I'll bless you, and I'll bless all people through you, and I'll multiply your seed. And, and God gave this wonderful blessing to Abraham, and Abraham went. God, uh, he called Abraham out of where he was and gave him a promise of, of an heir, of a child, because Abraham and his wife were childless. And so through Abraham came all of the Jews. So it's really important that the, that, that, that person of Abraham is the patriarch of all the Jews. This is the person that God spoke to. So Paul goes all the way back to Abraham to help the Jews understand their need for a Savior, as well as all of us, that that it can't just be by the law. So the question is, what then shall we say that Abraham our father has, has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So what's, what's Paul saying here? Paul, Paul is saying, does the idea of justification through faith apart from the works of the law 
make what God did in the Old Testament irrelevant? That's the first question is, now if we get this idea of justification by faith, does it make all the things of the law irrelevant so now we just have faith? And he's saying, no, that's not the case. But he's also bringing up Abraham and saying that Abraham, you might say that Abraham has something to boast about because if Abraham is justified by works, he would have something to boast about. Uh, And that's true, right? If someone's a really good person, they would have something to boast about, would they not? I mean, don't we often think of Mother Teresa as a really good person when we think about what she did in Calcutta at the Calcutta Mission and the way she provided for the uh, untouchables and the way she cared for the sick and the hurting and the shoeless and all those within the Calcutta missions, you, you look at someone like Mother Teresa and you go, is there a better person on the earth at the time uh, before her passing? Or, and I'm sure you can look around and say, wow, that person's really good. And so, so Abraham certainly, being the patriarch of all the Jews, the one who God called out of the land of uh, Chaldea, out of Ur, we would say like, oh, wow, he's got something to boast about. He must have done something really good. But Paul says, but not before God. Because remember Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Certainly in compared to human terms, Abraham is amazing. He's a man of faith. He, he's a man who, who God chose. And we can, we can look at it in, in a human comparison and say Abraham was an incredible man, right? I mean, when was the last time you heard God's voice telling you to pack up and leave everything you got and go to a land that I will show you, and you just start sojourning? <laughs> when was the last time you were ready to do that? How many of you would be ready to, to take your son, your only son, and sacrifice him, right? Just, no, that's crazy. But, but as we see in Hebrews, and we'll go to there in just a moment, Abraham believed God. And so we would say Abraham was a really good man. But if you compare Abraham's righteousness, his goodness, to that of God, we see that Abraham falls fall far short of the glory of God. You can't compare Abraham to, good, to God because he's not as good as God. So Paul insisted his boasting could only be before other people, not before God. If a person could establish his finite righteousness by works, though that was impossible, he could never boast of it in God's presence. So even if someone's able to, to say, well, I am a really, really good person. I've kept the law all my life. When he gets up to heaven and tries to boast before God, how do you think that's going to go? <laughs> he failed. He, there's no way. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Rather, Genesis fifteen six says, And he believed in the Lord, speaking of Abraham, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. And so picking back up in chapter one or chapter four, verse three, for what does the scripture say? It says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as a debt. Okay, so Let's talk about this accounted to him as righteousness. First of all, it says that Abraham believed. This is an important word. Pistuo in the Greek. And 
Pistuo means to consider something to be true, therefore worthy of one's trust to believe. Now, that's the definition, but we have kind of twisted that definition of what it means to believe in God. Because oftentimes we think to believe in God means to acknowledge God, right? Oh, I acknowledge he exists. I, I, yeah, there's a God somewhere, someone, whatever the case is our, our definition of belief is. But here we see that there's a different definition of believe. Abraham believed God, and it was credited, accounted to him as righteousness. So let's get a little bit of participation here. What do you think it might be to believe? To obey? I think the fans are on. Maybe it's not on. Your friend's not on. Do it off, please. To believe? What does it mean to believe? Who is this? To hear God speak and respond with an attitude of submission and actions of obedience? Somebody else said something. Someone said something. What? Trust. Trust. What else? Trust. To embrace. To what? Embrace. To embrace. Okay. To, to have faith, yeah, to faith and believe. We can use those as synonyms. Yet all these things are true. And, and uh, the most simple uh, illustration we can think about of believing in something is that you all came in today and you sat down on these pews not realizing that I had actually cut some of these pews, that they were going to collapse in on you. But unfortunately, everybody missed those pews. Wouldn't that be funny? No, I'm just kidding. But the idea is you believe that pew would hold you. And so therefore you put your trust in that pew and you acted on such belief and you sat down. Now most of you probably didn't go through that thought process of believing in a pew. And most of you didn't really think it was just more of a subliminal thing that of course the pew is going to hold me. That's what they're built for. They're not going to just fall apart. Uh, But maybe we take it to the next level. When you went on that roller coaster at the amusement park, you didn't believe that that roller coaster was going to fly off the tracks and you were going to fly off with it or it would get stuck upside down and you'd be hanging there for the next hour or two hours. No, you believed that you would get on the roller coaster and it would do exactly what it was supposed to do. And maybe you even had something to base that belief on. Like, for instance, the credibility of the amusement park. If it's not Magic Mountain, no, just kidding. <laughs> um, but you, you, you had the credibility of the park. You have the, the, uh, the you assume that people, uh, the regulations of the government are protecting you. You may have even seen the, the roller coaster work in the way it was supposed to do. So therefore, you put your belief in it and you sat in the chair and got locked in and took off and had a great time. Well, even more so with God. With God, God spoke, and it, was, it says it was accounted to Abraham as righteousness, for righteousness. Now, there's another word here we want to talk about, uh, accounted. That's an accounting term. It would be a term that accountants would use to add or subtract, legizomai. And it's, it's to determine by this a mathematical process, to reckon, to calculate. So what does that mean? It means that, that if you were to have a couple columns of your life and, and the, the first column is debt and the second po- column is credit, 
we would all want the credit. Not the type of credit that's a credit card that we'll end up owing later, but just like the whole idea of a credit to your account. Like when, when you uh, receive a, a credit for, like for me, REI, I love uh, February. I get my dividends for REI. It's like, yes, I have this credit in my account, and I get to go buy a tent or a backpack or something to go camping. You know, it's so exciting. Or maybe maybe I'd invest in a shower for Uganda or whatever. But, um, but when I receive that credit statement that I have, uh, $100 in my account. That's really exciting because it's been credited to my account. Or, of course, if I have a debit, that would be like the, the uh, debt. I, I, that would be like the credit, we, uh, the, the credit card that we can't afford to pay off, so we charge it, and now we owe this amount. Well, it's important to understand that none of us were born with zero sin. Okay, that's, that's the hard thing to understand, and we're going to get into that in Romans 4, or sorry, Romans 5, but, but the, a lot of people think that we're kind of born neutral, and our balance is, is zero, and, and we, we, go, we either make good choices or bad choices from there, and I'll tell you, that's a neat idea, especially for those who have never had kids, but if you've ever had a kid, you know that your child was born with a sin nature. You know it. <laughs> Because it's that first time your kid just bites you to see if it hurts. You know what I'm talking about? Moms, dads, you, you know what I'm talking about. Your kids are, or no, most of us, most of us parents who are good parents, never taught our kids how to lie. But yet that first time they do something and you catch them in a lie, you're like, ah. Oh. And you're just shocked that they would just lie about it and try to get away with it. Uh, I remember when my middle daughter at one point in time threw a ball and broke a window and uh, we caught her in a lie, and it was just so heart-wrenching that she lied, <laughs> you know. But, but that's part of that sin nature. She wasn't born sin-neutral because she was born under Adam, under the flesh. And Adam sinned, and thereby Adam sinned, all sinned. And like I said, we'll get into that in Romans 5. And so we are already born with a debt to pay. We are already born short of the glory of God. And, and then, of course, as we go on in life, we could say that debt might increase depending on how we live our lives. So the problem is if you try to live by the law, you're already negative in your account. And the positives of the law don't make you less of a debtor. It just means you're not creating more debt in your account. Do you understand that? Just like you would if you had a credit card and you charged it up $100 but you said, you know what, I'm going to stop charging that credit card so I don't have to pay that $100. That's not the way that works. You'll always owe that $100 because there it is sitting in your credit account and they're, they're sending claims saying, oh, and then what? There's interest, right, that's added to that. Well, well, the Bible, here in Romans it says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness, this is important for you and for me. God, when we believe in God, when we put our trust in God, there's a credit of righteousness given to us. So rather than saying we have this debt of sin, all of a sudden we have an infinite amount of righteousness imputed to us by Christ. And we'll talk about that word imputed in a little bit. So Paul writes and says, Now to him who works... The wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. 
that's verse 4. And so there's a simple idea here. If you go and work, uh, work for a wage, what do you get? You get that wage, right? Nobody, nobody would work for an employer, and after four hours, when the employer pays them what they're supposed to pay them on their paycheck, and the employer says, see, here I am. Look at how benevolent I am. I'm paying you this wonderful blessing. You're like, benevolent? What are you talking about? I worked for this. This is what I've earned. And Paul is saying, as we work under the law, all that happens is we increase our debt because the fact is, is you and I can't keep the law. As soon as there's a law written, you and I will look for ways that we can come up to the line, stretch the boundary, cross the line. You know what I'm talking about. It's not hard. Go on the freeway, right? You, we all know that the sign posted is 65 miles per hour. But if you drive 65 miles per hour on a Southern California freeway, you're going to get ran over, right? Uh, I remember that when I first got my motorcycle's license uh, and I was getting on the freeway, I realized, like, I have to go 80 to keep up with the speed of cars. And it's a terrifying experience when you first get your motorcycle license uh, because you're just not ready to go that fast on a crowded freeway. But that's just the reality of it. Everybody will stretch the line of the law. We all will look by the flesh to break God's law. And we've already talked about that earlier on in Romans. And so, so we have this example in Abraham that he believed God and it was credited to, his right, to him as righteousness. Um, Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So let me ask you the question, what does impossible mean? It means impossible. It means not possible. Now, we know that the, uh, Jesus earlier was asked, uh, well, how is it possible for anyone to be saved? And Jesus, in that, after sharing with uh, the rich young ruler who went away sad from him, said, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Well, we see this here as... R- Paul writes that without faith it is impossible to please him. That, that, that if you're doing it on your own, it is impossible. But he who comes to God must believe and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That when we put our faith in God, we, uh, we will be rewarded for seeking him. Now, why, why would that be? Why would God just reward us for trusting in him? Because he loves you. Because he He created you because he wants a relationship with you. It's not that he wants something from you. In fact, actually, it's the very opposite. He's giving everything to you. He's he's giving you, he's crediting you with righteousness on the account of Jesus Christ that you might have a relationship with him. Abraham was called out and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Well, let's go on to... um, Uh, verse 5. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also described the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So now Paul, as he continues on in, in helping us understand this idea of faith versus works, 
he begins to bring up King David. So we have Abraham and we have King David. And so you can think of, of those founders of America and how important they are to us. And in fact, actually, anytime there's a legal dispute about the Constitution, those who actually care about the Constitution, the first thing they do is go back to the original writers and authors of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, and they try to understand what the intent was when they wrote it so that they might interpret it correctly. Now, that's, that's what we would call a conservative approach to law. Of course, there's other approaches to law, but, but that would be the idea, right? We'd want to understand what the original intent was so that we would know how to apply it today. And so Paul brings up King David. King David is an important person in Jewish faith because he's the God that not only that that was God's or sorry he's the man that was God's choice to be king, but he also is the one whom God made a covenant with and said that I, I will I will uh, put an heir on the throne and of course Jesus Christ comes through David uh, and and uh, I will establish your throne. Uh, that that's an amazing promise and covenant that God made with David. So David, uh, so Paul says that, uh, but to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So rather than work for for your uh, for grace, don't do that. Just believe on Christ. Uh, and it will be credited to you as righteousness. Notice this, verse 6, just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Let me talk about the word impute. Impute means to judge as one's own, uh, be it sin or righteousness of another. So let me put it in terms that you might understand. We still use this term today, but it would be found in terms of car insurance, right? So you have a car, you get insurance for your car, and then you loan your car out to somebody else. I loan my car to Julian Mallon. Julian Mallon takes my truck, drives it to go do some errands, or whatever the case is, and then crashes it, okay? What happens with the follow-up from that accident? Well, the insurance company says, that's my fault, Dave Johnson's fault, not Julian Mallon's. Why? Because his car wreck was in my car, and therefore it's imputed to me as my own responsibility. Do you understand that that term imputed, imputation? And so, that, and that's the way we use it uh, today most often. But the idea here is that we can be imputed. Uh, blessed is the man, as David says here. Uh, David describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. And so we go to Psalm 32. Turn over to Psalm 32 for a moment. And we'll, let's get into Psalm 32 because that's what Paul quotes from. I got to hurry up here. We're running late. I have five minutes to finish the chapter. <laughs> Not going to happen. Not to finish the chapter. Finish <laughs> through verse 15. It won't happen tonight. Psalm 32. So Psalm of David, a contemplation. That's our subtext. Verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Now, what does the word blessed mean? Oh, how happy. Oh, how happy is the person whose sin, whose transgression is forgiven. That's a trespass. That's going across, going beyond the line that God has established. And whose sin is covered. Isn't that true? 
Can we all say that that's true? Blessed is the one, happy is the one who's not responsible for the things that they've done. Would we all agree with that? Like, uh, I mean, if you've done something wrong, if you went and got that speeding ticket or you got in that car accident and, and they, they call you up and they say, don't worry about it, it's covered. What? You'd say, man, I'm the most blessed guy ever. I, and you'd go out and tell everybody, I can't believe it. The judge called me and said, don't worry about it. It's covered. It's taken care of. And you're like, woohoo! So we can all agree that that's true. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. The, here's the second blessed. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Well, that's also true. None of us want to be imputed with iniquity. We don't want to be responsible or accountable for our own iniquity, right? Everybody wants a pass, don't we? I mean, this is what the whole good works faith-based religion is all about, that maybe good outweighs bad, and basically when I get to heaven, uh, God will find me good, right? Well, David says, yeah, blessed is that man who God does not impute iniquity. So we can all agree with that. Uh, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. This is David expressing a burdened conscience. Now, we all know David was free of scandal and never sinned, right? <laughs> no, the exact opposite is true. Just like Abraham sinned, so did David sin. And David had a lot of scandal involved with his life. He obviously uh, committed adultery with Bathsheba. He murdered Uriah. Uh, he took a, a census when he wasn't supposed to. Uh, there were a lot of things that David did that were ungodly. And so whatever sin David is speaking about at this point in time, he's saying that this is what the sin did to him. His bones felt like they were growing old. He was groaning. It was heavy upon him. His vitality turned to the drought of summer, right? This is what sin does to us. When we're hiding sin or, or, or dealing with a sin, we don't want it to be uncovered. It, it, it eats at the soul. And so finally David came to the place where he said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave my iniquity and of my sin. Now, did David do any work at this point? No. He just confessed it. Lord, I've done this. He, he turned to the Lord and confessed it. And as a result of it, he says, and you, God, you forgave my iniquity. Verse 6, for this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eyes. Do not like, be like the horse or like the mill, mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with a bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. And so here's the, the warning. Don't be like a stubborn mule. Or, or like a horse, you know, the, the saying goes that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink, right? Because if a horse chooses not to do something, yeah, you can get it there because you put a bit in its mouth and you forced it, uh, but it doesn't mean it's going to actually drink, right? They're stubborn. So David says, don't be like that stubborn uh, animal, but rather go to God. Verse 10, many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord 
Mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice your righteous and shout for joy all you upright in heart. Basically, David encouraged the, the reader of the psalm to, to go and trust in the Lord and, and be forgiven. To, to not be like the wicked, but be glad in the Lord because he's done this work. There's, it, it's, it's incredible when you see the offer here because we, what we see is God doing everything and man doing nothing except just calling upon God for help. And God helps because of his love. Going back to Romans 4, so David said, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall impute, not impute sin. Uh, for the one who believes in God, he is free from the debt of sin. And that's the point of what Paul is making here in verse 8. Okay, we're going to have to call it a night there. Uh, and we will pick up at verse 9 next week. Bummer, I talked too much tonight. Uh, we're going to have to call it there. But um, let me just end with this. Um, I want to encourage you. When you start to understand this idea that you cannot be saved by good works, but rather God has provided for you righteousness, now we start to understand the idea of grace. See, grace is not anything you can work for, but grace is given by God. And, and it's, what a wonderful blessing it is because grace is freedom in Christ. And that means that, that you're no longer based on doing good. You, you, you started out uh, your relationship with God by faith, your salvation was by faith, and you continue on walking in faith. Uh, and you receive that wonderful grace of God. So when you wake up in the morning and after the course of a week, you realize, oh man, I didn't read my Bible at all this week. By grace, you're no less than you were before. Certainly, it's a benefit to you to walk with the Lord, to have a relationship with Him, but it didn't mean that you lost your standing and now have to make up the, the, the last five days of Bible reading so you can get in a better standing with God. No, grace already puts you in good standing with God because God is giving you His righteousness. Grace is freedom. The law, the law just basically tells you that you're not good enough. The, the law expo- exposes the sin. Now, the law is not evil. The law is good because it reflects who God is and his righteousness. But the law is that schoolmaster that says, you'll never make it doing it this way. You need the grace of Jesus Christ. And so I just want to encourage you all with that tonight, that there is a freedom that comes from grace in Christ that, that relieves the soul of all the pressure of not being good enough. And we find ourselves standing before Christ Rather, just praising him that he is good enough and we've been given his righteousness. We'll pick back up next week in Romans 4, verse 9. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you so much for this evening. And we thank you for, for, your, for these arguments that Paul is laying out for us that we might understand what it means to be righteous. But also, Lord, what it, might, what it is to be in grace and be uh, in your presence and have that relationship with you. And if you're in this room tonight and you've never experienced the grace of God, I just want to encourage you, like the psalmist says, cry out to him. Say, Lord, I've sinned against you. I've transgressed against you. I've done wrong. And Lord, I need your righteousness. Forgive me. Thank you so much for dying on that cross for me. Lord, we are so thankful for all the goodness that you give to us. And we pray your blessing on each and everyone who came tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.
I'm sorry we didn't get to verse 15 tonight, but we'll get there. I will say, I want to encourage you to keep reading Romans, read Romans 4, because uh, as you start to understand Romans, you're going to find yourself no longer saying, I'm not as good as that person or this person. You're, you're going to start saying, in Christ, I have all the righteousness I need, and praise God for Christ. So I want to encourage you as you read that, uh, that, that you might be really freed up from a relationship of religion and guilt to a relationship with your Creator. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May He cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord give you peace. Amen.